Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Exodus, chapter 13. Exodus 13. In our last lesson, we gave you the uh, Passover and the meaning of it somewhat. Chapter 13, as we look at it, we'll find there are four commands in this chapter. In verses 1 and 2, you'll find to sanctify the firstborn. That's verses 1 and 2. In verses 3 through 7, it it would be uh, to celebrate their deliverance. God uh, commanded them to celebrate their deliverance from Egypt. And then in verses 8 through 10, you have the fact that they are to religiously teach their children. And then verses 11 through 13, you have uh, that they are to set apart the firstborn of the cattle and etc. And so we find that these are four important commands that are given in this chapter. And we'll begin reading with verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. So God says, in remembrance of uh, the fact that the firstborn uh, he spared through the blood of the Lamb, then they were to set aside and dedicate the firstborn and separate it unto him. The word sanctify means to be separated to God. And then, in verse 3 through 7, you'll find that uh, he commands them to uh, uh, celebrate their deliverance in this way. And Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which ye came out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from, the, from this place. There shall no leavened bread be eaten. This day came ye out in the month Abib. And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore unto thy fathers to give thee, a land flowing with milk and honey, that thou shalt keep this service in this month. Seven days thou shalt eat unleavened bread, and in the seventh day shall be a feast unto, uh, to the Lord, or a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and there shall no leavened bread be seen with thee, neither shall there be leaven seen with thee in all thy quarters. And this is to celebrate, of course, their deliverance from Egypt. And then verses 8 through 10, God tells them here that they're to teach their children. Notice verse 8. And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done. Now this celebration was done in order to teach. This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. And it shall be for a sign unto thee upon thine hand and for a memorial between thine eyes that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance in his season from year to year. So it was set aside to teach them to remember what God had done for them. It's much like in the New Testament we have the the Lord suffers to teach us or to remind us of the fact that uh, we were saved and redeemed by Christ's uh, shed blood and uh, we show forth his death till he comes again in keeping of the Lord's Supper. Now then, verses 11 on down through 13, we find uh, it's to set apart the firstborn of the cattle and etc. In verse 11, it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites as, as he swear unto thee, and to thy fathers, and shall give it thee, that thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix, and every firstling that cometh of the beast which thou hast, 
the male shall be the Lord's. And verse 13 says, And every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou wilt not, not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck, and all the firstborn of man among thy children shalt thou redeem. Now I want you to notice something here. The unclean animal, the ass, that stupid and senseless creature, had to be redeemed with a lamb. In other words, there had to be a price of redemption for this one because he was unclean and he had to be redeemed. But the same goes true of man. Look, in the last part of that verse, "...and all the firstborn of man among thy children shalt thou redeem." See, all the firstborn of mankind. You know, natural man is also stupid and void of intelligence. The Bible says, "...the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, their foolishness in him." The Bible says, "...if, if uh, our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost." in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. There are passages after passage of Scripture that shows us that we're not only uh, void of understanding, lacking of intelligence, void of spiritual intelligence, but that we're unclean as well, and that we need to be redeemed the same way. And the price was what? A lamb. And all the firstborn of a man among thy children thou shalt redeem. In verse 14, And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in, thy, in time to come, saying, What is this that thou shalt say unto him? By strength of hand the Lord brought us, up, uh, uh, brought us out of, from Egypt, from the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh would hardly let us go, that the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord... All that openeth the matrix being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem. In other words, the cattle and the animals were, were set aside to God and dedicated to God, the firstborn. And then all of the firstborn of the males were redeemed. And they were redeemed with what? A lamb. Just like an unclean animal had to be redeemed. Now then, uh, in verse uh, 16, And it shall be for a token upon thine hand. And for frontless between thy eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord, the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt. And it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest peradventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. So he didn't lead them the way, though it was near. He didn't want them to see war. He was afraid they'd lose heart and lose, and lose faith and, and lack courage, and they'd want to return to Egypt, which they did finally anyway. They kept, there was a mixed multitude came up with the children of Israel, and they complained about what God was doing. And they complained that they were uh, uh, void of, or, or lacking of food and water and various things. And they set the whole camp of Israel to murmuring against Moses and against God. You know, the mixed multitude, we've said before probably in a previous lesson, that they're typical of worldly members in the church that start complaining about things and then they get God's own people to complaining about things. So that's why you don't want a bunch of worldly people running the church. 
You want people that, that are dedicated to God, separate to God, that are willing to uh, do the work of God, uh, that pray, that read their Bibles, that attend the house of God. And that's the kind of people you want to serve in the church. But if you get a bunch of people in the church because of uh, their popular uh, character persons or uh, respective person, and you get a bunch of people that have a great deal of pull, but they're worldly, they can absolutely ruin the spirituality of a church because they'll control it and they'll bring in everything that's worldly and ungodly. And the first thing you know, you're on the wrong track. And that's why you need God's people. We all we need to be dedicated to the things of God and the service of God. Have some convictions. Know where we stand. Pray much about everything that goes on in the church. But it says... Now, I want you to notice two things in verse 17 and 18. It says in the middle of verse 17 that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Now then in verse 18, but God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. So he led them a longer way around. Have you ever thought about the fact that that, uh, God knows which is the best way for us to go? And sometimes we want to take the shortcut, don't we? That, you know, the near way was the way we would want to go. But God leads us around, and He has many experiences for us to go through. And so He knows what way to lead us in. And uh, just because there's a shorter way for us to go doesn't mean that may be the best way. Sometimes we need to realize that we need to follow His leading regardless of how far it may be and how long it may be and how much patience it may take for us to endure the journey. Uh, verse 18 says, But God led the people about through the way of the ch- uh, wilderness of the Red Sea, and, and uh, the children of Israel went up harnessed. That means by ranks, fi- by five uh, in a rank. They went up in columns, and they went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. If you have a marginal reference, the word harnessed means five, by five in a rank. In verse 19, And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones away hence with you. Remember Joseph? When Joseph was in Egypt in the book of Genesis, and he came to die, he said, Now you're going to suffer a, a long time here in Egypt. There's going to be problems and trials and etc. But I want you to remember that when you come up out of Egypt, I want you to carry up my bones hence. I don't want you to leave me here. And so, this is a fulfillment. Joseph made a prophecy concerning this very thing. And they were fulfilling it. And then in verse 20 through 22, And they took their journey from Succoth and encamped in Etham. Etham means perfection. In the edge of the wilderness. Now look, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them in the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. You know, God gave them the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire throughout all their wilderness journeys. It was a special cloud that God sent to protect them from the heat of the sun in the day and to guide them in the darkness of the night at night. 
It was a cloud by day to cover them and protect them. And it was a fire by night to be there, show His presence, and to guide them in the way. And this is typical of the Holy Spirit. There are several things I want to point out about the pillar of cloud and fire. You know, the cloud was not given to Israel until they had been delivered from Egypt. There's a lot of typology here that we need to see. And the Holy Spirit does not come into indwell the believer until he's saved in the same way. See, uh, God saved Israel out of Egypt. God saved us out of uh, the world and out of Pharaoh's grasp or Satan's grasp, delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And upon doing that, we received the Holy Spirit. Now, God didn't give them this pillar of cloud and fire while they were still there in Egypt. He didn't give them this pillar of cloud and fire, which is typical of the Holy Spirit, until they were delivered. So, God doesn't give the believer until he believes and accepts Christ, until he's saved, he doesn't give him the Holy Spirit. But when he is, he gives him the Holy Spirit. And the, the cloud was God's gift to Israel. Notice. It says, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them by the way, and, a, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light and to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. You don't find them asking for it. They did not uh, seek this cloud. They did not pray for this cloud. They did not deserve this cloud. And so the Holy Spirit is given to the believer as an act of grace. You know, there's a lot of people think you've got to pray to get the Holy Spirit. But uh, the Bible says that once you believe, you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1. Listen carefully to these two verses. Verses 13-14. Uh, Paul says to the Ephesians, "...in whom ye also trusted." After that you heard the word of truth, in whom also after that you believed. The word after doesn't mean a long time after. It means really upon believing. After that you believed, or simultaneously with believing. After that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So upon true conversion, upon true faith, upon true acceptance of the gospel of your salvation, then you're sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. You read those verses. It says, In whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. It becomes the gospel, the good news of your salvation, because you believe it and accept it as your own personal uh, salvation by believing on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And when you do that, you're sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And it's an act of grace and a gift of God that He will give you the Holy Spirit. Let me read for you in John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and verse 16 says this. Jesus said, And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you, He shall give you, notice the emphasis there, another comforter, that He may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now, uh, here Jesus says, I will pray the Father and He shall give you. So that means that the Holy Spirit is a gift 
the cloud was given to guide Israel, just as the Holy Spirit is given to guide the child of God. The Bible says in Romans 8, verse 14, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, see, they are the sons of God. And then the cloud gave light. Look in Exodus 13, if you will, uh, and verse 21. It says, It went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them in the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. It's giving light, isn't it? So the Holy Spirit enlightens us. Let me read in in, uh, uh, John again, chapter 16, if you will. John chapter 16 and verse um, 13, it says this, How be it, when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. So He's the one that gives us the guiding light. He gives us light. And then the cloud also was given for a covering. In Psalm 105, verse 39. Psalm 105, verse 39. Look at this verse. It says this, He spread a cloud for a covering and a fire to light in the night. And the psalmist, as he rehearses what God did for Israel, spread a cloud for a covering. This was a covering from the heat. This, you might say, is God's natural air conditioner. He gave them air conditioning out there with a cloud over them. Can you imagine in that desert country in which they were, how welcome a cloud was to protect them from the heat of the sun? You know, lots, a lot of times we're out here in the, in the sun and in the heat and the cloud comes over and we feel that protection from that direct heat of the sun. And it's a real blessing, isn't it, when you're out there? I've been out in the field plowing or something, you know, and cloud come over and just rest there. Man, that's a relief. Quite a relief, isn't it? And so God gives us that for a covering and it protects us from the heat. So we have a protection too by being sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you're sealed. He gives us protection. Being sealed is protection, isn't it? And then God speaks from the cloud to Israel. In Psalm 99, look at this one. Psalm 99 and verse 7, it says this. He spake unto them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimony, testimonies and the ordinance that he gave them. That's Psalm 99 verse 7. He spake to them. In the cloudy pillar. So God's voice was in that. And God's voice to us is in the Holy Spirit. Remember in the New Testament when you find uh, uh, Philip there in in Samaria. And he's preaching and God speaks to him. The Holy Spirit speaks to him. The Holy Spirit speaks to Philip and says, Go join thyself to the chariot. He spoke to him first to go down in the place called Gaza or desert. Then he spoke again and says, Go join thyself to the chariot. So God speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit is always in harmony with his commands and his word. And if you'll notice, 
this verse in Psalm 99, verse 7, it says, He spake unto them in the cloudy pillar, they kept His testimonies and the ordinance that He gave them, because He spoke according to the Word. God always speaks in harmony with everything that He has written and given us in His Word. And you know, here's another thing about the pillar of cloud and fire. I wanted to give you the details about this because I believe there's a great lesson in it. But if you'll notice in Exodus 14, verse 20, that this same cloud was darkness to the Egyptians. How is it that the cloud that is like to Israel was darkness to the enemy? And the same thing is true about the Holy Spirit. That cloud or the Holy Spirit which enlightens the believer is darkness to the unbeliever. Because the Bible says that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him. The things of God for their foolishness to him. Neither can he know them as darkness, right? Because they are spiritually discerned. So only the believer can truly understand spiritual things. Now you say, well, what about the lost man? What about him being in darkness and he needs to be saved? How is he going to be saved? It says, and we quoted it a minute ago, that the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, the unbeliever, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. And so when that light of the glorious gospel of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit shines into a darkened heart, it enlightens him to salvation and he accepts the Lord and he's saved. And then he has that light abiding in him from then on. And it stays there. He stays there and abides forever. The Holy Spirit is a light to the saved and darkness to the unsaved. John 14, verse 17, we read in John 14 a little bit ago, but look at verse 17. Let's read 16 and 17 see this darkness we're talking about. John 14, verse 16 and 17, we read it a minute ago. And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not. Look, the world cannot, because it seeth Him not. Neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. See, the world seeth him not, and neither knoweth him, it says. So there you have the darkness, don't you? Of the, that, how it is. If you have Exodus, we started to read it a minute ago and didn't read it. Uh, Exodus 14 and verse 20. Well, let's read verse 19 and 20. You still have a place where we're studying? Exodus 14 now, and we'll read verse 19 and 20. We haven't read the 14th chapter at all yet. We want to get into it in a moment, but we're st still talking about this pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. Verse 19 says, The angel of God which went before the camp of Israel, see, it went before them, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud that went from before their face and stood behind them, and it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, that is, to the Egyptians, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. Isn't that amazing? That God says this cloud, this typical of the Holy Spirit, this cloud that is before the nation of Israel, to guide them, when the enemy was approaching, the cloud removed and went behind them and stood between Israel and the Egyptians. And it was darkness to the Egyptians, but it was still light to Israel. Isn't that amazing? 
So that the dark side of it was for Israel. I mean, was for the Egyptian, and the light side was for Israel. So they had light, and the enemy had darkness. And it stood as a protector between the two. The Holy Spirit does that for you and I. He protects us from the enemy. He gives us light on the one hand, and He is darkness to the one that is uh, refusing and rejecting and rebelling and against God's people and the enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil and all the enemies of our soul. And yet, we find that He gives light. You know, God's plan for His people is great because He doesn't suffer us to go blindly in the dark. Uh, Jesus said that he that cometh after me and what follows after me shall have the light of life. Shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So if you follow the Lord, you're going to walk in light. Doesn't mean you, you're going to have an easy path, but wherever that path goes, there'll be light shining on it. And He'll show you the rough places and, and the smooth places as well. And you'll know where you're going, what you're doing. And then this cloud later rested on the tabernacle as soon as it was erected in the 40th chapter of the book of Exodus. When the tabernacle, we'll give you a reference in the last chapter of the book of Exodus, 40th chapter, verses 33 through 35. I want you to notice this. And he reared up the, the, the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hanging of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Now look. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because, of the, uh, because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It came and rested upon this finished work of the tabernacle that God told Moses to construct. And then I want to give you one other fact about this cloud. This cloud was never taken away from Israel through all their wanderings. Look in the book of Nehemiah chapter 9. I want to read Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 19. Nehemiah 9 verse 19. Notice this. Yet thou and thy manifold mercies forsookest them not in the wilderness. And the pillar, the pillar of the cloud departed not from them by day to lead them in the way, neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way wherein they should go. It departed not. Didn't Jesus say, I will give you the Holy Spirit and He shall dwell with you and be in you and abide in you forever? Can you not be thankful today that as a believer you have God's Holy Spirit that is indwelling you and, and that the Lord has promised that He will indwell you from now on. That He's not going to... Every time you run across a little a problem in your life and you do something wrong, God's going to pull away His Holy Spirit and leave you in darkness and leave you to where you don't know how to return and what to do. No, He says He's going to abide with you forever. Now then, that's why the believer can grieve the Holy Spirit. Because He has in Him the divine light of God. And that's why that when we do things wrong and when we sin, we grieve that inward nature and we grieve Christ in us and the Spirit of God in us. Because we, uh, it's just like a child. When, when they do something that you tell them is wrong as a parent, 
or even a loved one, a friend or whoever, if they do something opposite and they do something wrong, it grieves you because they haven't obeyed because they're not doing right. And you know, God looks upon us the same way and His Holy Spirit indwells us and He is grieved by the things that we do wrong. I want us to look at chapter 14 quickly. We still have about 15 minutes, but let's pick up chapter 14. And this is their deliverance from uh, Egypt. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pihahiroth, Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Belzephon, before it shall, uh, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say, now then, God is instructing Moses what Pharaoh's going to say. He knows how he's going to react. You know, God knows what the enemy's going to do. You and I go along and we wonder sometimes why we face the enemy, but God knew all about what we was going to face before we came up against him. And he's going to instruct Moses how to handle it when he gets there. To be forewarned is to be forearmed, isn't it? We ought to know how to handle it, shouldn't we? Okay. He says, For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. You know, there's nothing that the devil would like to do. Pharaoh's typical of Satan and the evil powers. There's nothing that the devil would like to do more than to entangle Christians in the wilderness. Entangle us in the land, in the world, or in the wilderness. Try to hinder our progress. Try to keep us from escaping uh, Egypt and all of its uh, 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 all of its power over us and captivity. And it says, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. If you'll remember that old Pharaoh said before, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? There's a lot of people today say, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? And God is going to show Pharaoh. He says, this is the one lesson that I'm going to teach Pharaoh and the Egyptians that they may know. Is who is the Lord that I may obey him? And the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this? That we, may, that we have let Israel go from serving us. They regretted permitting Israel to get out of their grasp and out of their out of the bondage and they regretted that they had ever agreed to let them go and he made ready his chariots chariot and took his people with him and he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and the captains over every one of them and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh king of Egypt and he pursued after the children of Israel and the children of Israel went out with an high hand it doesn't make any difference how strong the enemy is if God is on your side. You know, the Bible says if God be for us, who can be against us? It didn't make any difference how strong Pharaoh and how many chariots and how many horsemen and how great his army. And we're going to come down here and know Moses, the children of Israel, they're in a bind. They don't know which way to turn. Pharaoh's behind them. We'll get down there in a minute. 
Mountains on either side, the sea before them. Let's go on down. It says in verse um, 9, But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them in camping by the sea beside uh, Pihahiroth. You have to pronounce that in four syllables. It's Pihahiroth between Belzephon. And that's exactly where God told him in verse 2 to encamp. Well, God knew the enemy was going to overtake them there. Look back in verse 2. Speaking to the children of Israel, they, they turned and encamped before Pihahira. See that? God told them to encamp there. And it says they, that the Egyptians overtook them there. Look. Before Belzebub. That's verse 9. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, thou hast, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? <laughs> now they had been delivered out of bondage. They had been delivered from the taskmasters over them and from making bricks without straw and from their hard labor and from their slavery. And yet they get out here and they're blaming Moses for it all. Well, really, in blaming Moses, they're blaming God because God told Moses to lead them, deliver them. In fact, later on, when they speak against Moses and against Aaron, uh, Moses says, you have not uh, grumbled or complained against me. You, your complainings are against God. Well, that's what a lot of people do. They complain against the preacher sometimes. And if he's preaching the Word, you're complaining against God. Now, if it's his own... If it's his own sayings and doings and his own his own meanness, maybe he needs some a little bit of complaining against. But if he's preaching the word, then your complainings become more directed through him to God. It doesn't mean we're a Moses or an Aaron either. But I'm just saying, if he's true to the word, that's what we're talking about. And uh, so, uh, it's a lot of times the message. That, that we give of deliverance. That Moses gave them a message of deliverance and, and, and God was using Moses to deliver them and they were already going out and God was leading them and He led them the right way. He was doing the best uh, for them and He could foresee their problems. In fact, He knew the uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians were going to be chasing them and He had them to encamp at that particular place and He knew they would overtake them and then they begin to cry out. Look, in verse 11, and they said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt. In other words, they, they were willing to die if they could but just die back there where there was plenty of onions and garlic and melons and cucumbers and all the good things in the flesh pots of Egypt. You know, a lot of folks want to go back into the world. Have you ever seen Christians say, I didn't have it so hard when I was out there? When you get in the... If you, you, you're saved, you accept the Lord, and you realize that serving God, it, it, it's a little bit of cost to it. You know, uh, sacrifice to God is not a cheap thing. He wants us to lay it all on the altar, doesn't He? And He wants us really to serve Him. And a lot of people go and they say, oh, well, I don't want to give any tithes. I don't want to give any commitments. I don't want to join the church. I don't want anything that, that will tie me down. See? And the thing about it is, when you make a commitment, you become obligated, aren't you? 
you're obligated to, to do the things that God calls upon you to do. In fact, that's what Moses was doing when he told O Pharaoh that I will not accept this last compromise. He says, there shall not an hoof be left behind. He says, we'll go with our children, with our wives, with our uh, the men will go, all of our cattle, all of our processions. We'll go full three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord because we don't know what God is going to ask of us when we get there, but we're willing to have it all with us. And that's how dedicated he was and how determined he was not to compromise with Pharaoh. And when we're determined to give ourselves and, and really put our all on the, on the line for the Lord and say, God, here I am. Take me and use me. Take me and do what you would do with me. And, and really commit ourselves to the service of God, then we're going to find that, uh, that it's a lot different than desiring the flesh pots of Egypt and because there's graves back there and there's no graves here in the wilderness. Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Listen, verse 12. Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? In other words, they had already complained back there in Egypt. They said, Moses, we don't want to get out of here. It's kind of like Lot a little bit, too attached to Sodom, wasn't he? They were too attached to Egypt. They, they hated their, their oppression. They hated being in captivity. They hated being slaves. But they loved the fact that they had the flesh pots. And they loved the fact that they had the onions and the garlic and all the food of the Egyptians. And they were more concerned about the flesh than they were about serving God. And you know, you find a lot of people that way today. They'll say, just don't bother my fleshly comforts. You know, don't touch that. Let me live with my pleasures in the world and the flesh, but don't touch that and I'll serve God in some way. They're always figuring out a way to serve God without really serving God. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? They want to hedge around the bush a little bit. They want to serve God when they want to. Or just on occasions. Let me be free. The Bible says, If Christ shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. We're not in under bondage. Uh, Paul told the Galatians, he says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The bondage is the law, and the bondage is the world. But a lot of times people don't see it that way. So here you find, look at this. It says uh, in verse 12, Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For, ha for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Well, I'm not so sure about that. Had they followed Moses and had not been rebellious and sinned against God, they wouldn't have died in the wilderness. Remember the reason that God said that they would die, that they would die in their wanderings? All of those from 20 years old and upward would not believe Moses. And they, it was only the younger generation that went into Canaan's land. But all of the adults, everyone, it says, from 20 years older and, and upward, died in the wilderness because of what? Unbelief. They provoked God to anger. And God says, all right, if you're afraid your children won't make it in there, your children's going to make it, but you're not going to make it. And only two men of that adult generation, you know who they were? Remember? 
Joshua and Caleb, right? That went into Canaan's land. Only two of the grown-ups that came out of Egypt, of the Israelites, went in to Canaan. The rest of them wandered in the wilderness until all that wicked generation, that adult generation, died off in one way or another because of their sins. Look in verse uh, uh, 13. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Look at this. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Look, Pharaoh was behind them. There were mountains on either side. The Red Sea was before them. And Moses says, Stand still. Don't worry about a thing. And see who, what the salvation of the Lord. There's some situations that we come up against that we don't know where we're going to turn. We cannot turn any way. God has to do something for us. And God did for them. He opened the Red Sea, didn't He? And look, let's read it. Uh, it says, Which he shall show to you today, this verse 13, For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Evidently they got Moses crying to God too. He says, Why are you crying to me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Red Sea before them. It's not our business to wonder what God's going to do. If God says forward march, that's what we're supposed to do. You say, well, the, the, the Red Sea had them enclosed. But lift, lift up thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. You know, there's been all kinds of speculation and all kinds of uh, criticism about what Moses did. But I believe it just will be exactly like it says here. That Moses took his rod and the sea parted and they went on cross on dry ground. You know, some of these movies you see, you see them wading mud knee deep or wading water knee deep and going through that. It says they went on dry shod. They went, God dried that sea up by a strong east wind. It tells us how he did it later on. And he says, And I, and I behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. This is telling what it's going to do. Later on it happens. But he says, uh, And they shall follow them, and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots, upon his horses, horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, upon his horsemen. And the angel of God which went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. Pillar of cloud, we read this earlier, went before their face and stood behind them and came between the camp of the Egyptians, camp of Israel, and it was a cloud of darkness to them, that's the Egyptians, but it gave light to, by night to these so that they came, uh, so that the one came not near the other all the night. See, because Pharaoh and his uh, army was pursuing them, God says, I'm going to put a protection behind you as well. I'm not only going to guide you in front and show you the way, but I'm going to put a, a rear guard here. I'm going to put a protection behind you. And those Egyptians, though Pharaoh and his horsemen, his army, cannot touch you because I'm going to make it dark to them. And I'm going to make it light to you. God has a way of protecting His own, doesn't He? And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. Remember the east wind that brought the frogs and the west wind that took them away? And made the sea dry. 
dry land. And the waters were divided, and the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon dry ground. And the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea. Even all Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen came to pass that in the morning watch the Lord looked upon the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of uh, fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels that they drave them heavily so that the Egyptians said let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fighteth for them that's what God said against the Egyptians and the Lord said unto Moses stretch out thine hand over the sea that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians upon their chariots and upon their horsemen and Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea and the sea returned in his strength when the morning appeared and the Egyptians fled it and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them there remained not so much as one of them but the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the sea and Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses that's their deliverance from Egypt across the Red Sea the 15th chapter we'll see the song of praise of redemption and then the 16th chapter we'll find some of the problems they face and the well, actually, in the fifth, latter part of the 15th, you'll find that they were short of water. In the 16th, we find some manna giving them food from heaven. In the 17th, we find that they had a battle with Amalek, which is a type of the flesh. And that's the first thing that happens once you, you're delivered is the flesh begins to fight with you, right? You begin to have these problems. And it's all typical of the believer being delivered. By the way, let me say this in closing, that what happened to Israel as a nation and their redemption by blood and power happens to you and I as individual believers by the blood.